0: Yes, hello. Thanks for tuning in, guys. It's a pleasure to have you listening to the NTT 20 Monday podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and him on the line, George Ellick. And George, we're just taking a bit of a breath. We're coming up for air, whichever of those two figurative breathing analogies you prefer, by which I mean that with the championship heading off on an international break, League One and League Two having just had a weekend off league action and playing in the first round proper of the FA Cup, it's time for our annual State of Play podcast. Um, We are, for the most part, 11 games through a 46-game season, and the mathematicians amongst you will know that's not quite a quarter, but we're calling this the quarter point And uh, as such, we're going to look at all three leagues, the top, the middle and the bottom, just try and find some answers, just try and work out what's happened so far and what it might mean going forward. George, how are you doing? Excited for this one? I'm very, very excited, mate.
1: It's always great to be on the line with you talking about football. Bit of a different one, bit of a different prep because, um, yeah, no League 1 and League 2 to catch up on this morning. So it's been a bit of a quieter a quieter Monday morning without the need to do that. But looking forward to going through the leagues
0: and hopefully not upsetting too many fan bases as we do so. It's sad that we haven't been able to be together to record most of the pods this year because I don't want to take, I don't want to sort of get used to it like this. It's much more fun when we, when we can see each other. Um, alas, we have to continue... Certainly for the moment. And this, to be honest, feels like a bit of a throwback, George, to the to the old days, the early days of NTT 20, where we couldn't record remotely because we didn't have the technology or the wherewithal. Um, And so we always recorded in person, but that was quite difficult because of various schedules. So we basically recorded a pod every two weeks. Maybe two every three weeks sometimes. And because of that, we didn't focus too much on individual matches as much as we do now every Monday. We just Mm -hmm. sort of shouted at each other about who we thought was good and who we thought was bad. So (laughs) that's pretty much going to be today's pod. And I've been excited about it since we decided to do this. Um, Let's get cracking. We're going to start with the championship. I'd like to give a brief stats overview, if you can, uh, if you don't mind, rather, uh, on various things on each league, just to give us an idea of what the league's like as a whole. Uh, We spoke a few weeks ago. I specifically moaned about the lack of goals in the championship, and that is still there. We're up from two per game to 2.17 overall. It's still not great. Um, Previous seasons, 2.64, 2.67, 2.55, 2.61. So we are well below what we would normally expect to be seeing goals-wise in the championship. Exactly half of every match played in the champ this season has finished either 0-0, 1-0 either side or 1-1. So (laughs) um, the majority or at least half of the games are being played on the finest of margins, the barest of margins. And maybe because of that, one quirk that the Championship can offer uh, in a positive sense is that over a quarter of its goals, 27% have come in the last 15 minutes of games compared to just 20% for League 1 and League 2. Now, that might just be down to one team, Norwich City, who refuse to score unless it's the last 15 minutes. Um, but it does mean that we're having some exciting ends to football matches uh, and just to check in on home advantage and whether that exists or not it's been a great debate over the last uh, six months or so 37 percent home wins 35 percent away wins 28 percent draws so with home teams scoring on average 1.09 goals per game and away team scoring at 1.08 goals per game it looks like home advantage for the time being has been washed away uh, one thing we do have in the championship george is a great golden boot race developing between adam armstrong and ivan toney uh, and anyone who wants to to rise up from the pack and challenge them. Armstrong with 11 in 10 and Tony with 10 in 11. So let's get our teeth stuck into the top of this division. I'm going to read out the state of play just for the for the benefit of the listeners. Uh, I'm going to do it on points rather than league position at this stage because it's all still so tightly packed that I think league position can be a little bit noisy. So this might be a better way of looking at it. Top on 22 points, George, Reading. On 21, Watford and Norwich City. On 20, Bournemouth and Bristol City. On 19, three points off the top, Swansea. Uh, one point below them on 18, Middlesbrough and Stoke. On 17, Millwall and Luton. That rounds out the top 10. And then Brentford on 16, Blackburn and Huddersfield on 14. It's all very tight, as I've said. Uh, not as tight as this time last year, where there are only three points separating the top nine. And just shows what we... All know, George, there's plenty still to shake out at the top of the championship.
1: I mean, this is pretty much the first time I've looked at the league table um, because you know, at this stage of the season, you want to look at individual performances match by match um, rather than paying much attention to where a team is in the table. And, you know, for example, seeing Brentford in 11th, whilst it's, it's a surprise and I thought they were, pro- they were probably higher, it doesn't really have any impact on, on how we judge them so far. Um looking, I mean, the, the one thing I would say at the moment of the teams who, who've picked up the most points so far this season, Reading, who've got the most, I think we can agree are not the best team in the championship so far. I mean, I mean that is easier to say now after a couple of defeats than maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, but their start to the season was certainly pretty anomalous in that they were able to score at a rate that was probably not sustainable. Um, and um, this kind of run that we're starting to see, they were beaten 3-0 in their last two games, isn't a massive surprise. That's not to say that they're not going to pick this up. I'm not claiming they're now going to fall all the way down the table, but their position as the supposed best team in the Championship after 11 games, the talk of them suddenly being, you know, the surprise one out of the pack, seems a bit premature. And, you know, they're they're on the receiving end now of... um, You know, when when you take say when we're 20 games in or 22 games in and you take Reading's um, points tally and their game-by-game basis, it's just going to be a case where the wins were massively front-loaded, in my opinion, and now we're going to see the defeats. It's going to even itself out.
0: Um, The thing I would just butt in on with Reading is everyone knew that their finishing was running hot, and I think their fans knew that as well. But maybe because of all the noise surrounding that, people kind of – didn't realize they were posting very good defensive numbers like they were looking like a very solid defensive side especially given that they were ahead for so much of those early matches so it was almost doubly impressive that they were restricting the opposition and it wasn't a case of like shot conversion quirks like it was on an attacking end but since Liam Moore's been injured some terrible individual errors have contributed mm. to those last few games but i almost think that's then almost too noisy the last what's happened the last few games is too noisy <laughs> the other way where i wouldn't expect you know, one or two massive errors leading to goals every game. Of course, you wouldn't. Uh, and so, I sort of expect defensively for them to to get back towards being quite a good defensive side. And, and we kind of see where they land overall. I guess. Do, do you sort of know what I mean? That it's like, you know, it, it wasn't true that they were incredible, just as it's not true that they are horrendous now. I, I do agree with that. I sort of feel like if, they've been if, they've been like if you stick t- those. The phrase I would use is they've been like tickled by variants, but also slapped in the face by a few. Key injuries at the wrong time.
1: Yeah, I mean if if you put those two defeats in the middle of the sequences, we're not raising eyebrows here. Like I'm not, as I said, I'm not saying they're gonna now go and lose 3 0 to Bournemouth and three-nil to Reading, and this is a team who are gonna be amongst the worst. I mean, in their last four games, um, you know, you talk about defensive errors, and that's of course true, but in the last four games, they've deserved less than they got. You know, they beat Blackburn 4-2 in another game where I think they had seven shots and scored four goals, or five shots it was and scored four goals. They haven't deserved anything from the three games that they've lost either. So, you know, it's everybody knows they're running hot, as you say. I mean, the the kind of data side of things for those games suggests they they yeah they, they should have lost them. Where do we put them in in the league? I would say at the very best mid table. I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to have a bet now that their points per game from here to the end of the season would be any better than kind of twelfth thirteenth. Mm-hmm. But they've got enough points on the board that even if that is to be the case, they would still end up finishing somewhere between kind of the playoffs and mid-table as well. Yeah. True. So I mean, th- the issue for me, and it's something that we kind of always said at the beginning of their season, is in in Vico they've got a manager who even even when things were going well, it was hard to put your finger on his influence because they were just suddenly very clinical in front of goal. It, it didn't really feel like it was. Um, you couldn't really credit some managerial coaching genius
0: for that reason. He, and, was, and given... he was putting together some very nice group hugs on the pitch at full-time, though. Well, that, A lot, I mean, to that, be sa- that, lot to be said for that. Be...
1: So my concern is now that we've got a manager who the people who knew a fair bit about Panovic at the beginning of the season weren't particularly excited by him. It seemed difficult to point at his influence when things were going well. It's going to be interesting to see. And, and also, you know... November, December time even with the season starting late is kind of prime time for me and you to come out with our every year it happens the managers who start the season best generally seem to be the ones who pay the price because suddenly Reading fans are more expectant because of their start and maybe if Reading are coming 12th in January then that might be the end of Panovic when if you think at the beginning of the season if you just jumble up the results and you get to the same place and, and the narrative doesn't start to be oh look this is Reading look how well we're doing look how good all our players are maybe we can be better than this then he'd be fine, so that would be my concern.
0: Um, the, the the risk with this pod George was always that we would struggle to keep it under about two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> so that's on us really that's on me really as the as the uh, uh, certainly the nominal presenter to try and move it on um the, the next the next part of this top group of teams and sorry to, to club them all in together, but the three relegated Premier League sides Norwich Bournemouth and Watford are second third and fourth in the table. It's been a while since we saw this sort of early performance from three relegated sides. Um, I guess the question is: Are they all destined? Do you think for the top six uh, at the very least at the end of this season? Like, wow. can, we, can we block off three of the top six places for these three fairly strong-looking in different ways uh, relegated Premier League clubs? I don't think so. No. Good. Um, That's more fun.
1: I think I think Norwich are the ones who I would be most certain of finishing in the top six and probably the top four. They they started the season not at their best, with certain key personnel out. Um, but now that the Chancellor window's closed and we're seeing, you know, it, I, I've tweeted about it, it's Norwich eighteen 19. we're seeing Brendia, Pookie, Steeperman, Aarons, all these guys just, again, proving that they are not championship footballers. Um, and they're kind of, the trend of their performances is certainly on, on an upward trajectory. And if, I, if anything, I would say that they have made it very difficult for themselves. We've seen them score late goals so many times this season. I don't expect that to necessarily continue. I, I think we're going to start to see them basically putting the poorer teams in the division to the sword fairly easily. Bournemouth, I'm still kind of struggling to make a, make a fist out of. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they won the league um, I think they've got the players to do it, and, and in Jason Tindall, so far we're
0: seeing a manager who clearly looks, at the very least, capable. Some pretty ominous um, attacking play on the weekend. They, they, they yeah, they were brilliant t- took, on, a, on took a man out of defence to add Brooks to proceedings, and the quality of their play in the final third with Solanke, Brooks, Dan Juma, and Stanislas was was pretty scary against one of the league's better defence in, in Birmingham. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say I mean, they they look ominous. I would say
1: my one concern would be that that was kind of the first time on Saturday that we'd seen them do that and yep. I'd want to see it more often because they have the attacking for players sure. to, to, to basically dominate games and just put teams away.
0: Would it be and fair I don't to think, say that...
1: Unlike, unlike Norwich where I think Norwich have put in performances already which could have spelt those kind of scorelines, I don't think we've necessarily seen that from Bournemouth. It's been fairly not
0: cagey but but safe in a way until Saturday where they seem to kind of let the shackles off. And what, what for the second you spoke, I think, yeah. I think last Monday, that you weren't that you were getting almost less convinced about Watford as the season had gone on, and since we spoke, they've had two, three, two wins in like pretty chaotic games against Stoke, where they were massively helped by some bizarre refereeing decisions, uh, and a and a well a to and fro game against Coventry, one of the worst sides in the league so far, uh, to win three two there. So so you know, are you still thinking more of the same, or has that made you more convinced? No, six points, and and I'm even less convinced than I was last week. Um, I just don't understand
1: what's going on at Watford. I don't understand why, you know, to the beginning of the season seemed to have settled upon like a a system, a formation, and even though it wasn't particularly popular with the fans, where they just looked very, very solid, and that has made way for chaos recently. I, I don't really know what's going on, but they conceded so many opportunities to a Coventry side who looked pretty poor so far. They made very, very tough work beating Stoke as well. They won both games three two, but again they, those performances, because of the kind of hectic nature of both, because of their, the amount of of chances they're conceding, it, it they all their games just feel like a bit of a coin toss at the moment. And both times recently, it's landed on heads once they've called heads, but if it carries on like this, I think they're going to lose games. So, um, you know, Watford were my big fancy at the start of the season, so my um wallet is quite happy to see them continue to pick up these these um these results by not playing too well. But, you know, if I'm talking about an upward trajectory of Norwich performances, an upward trajectory of, of Bournemouth's performances, certainly looking at Saturday, even though the points tally for Watford keeps going up and in massive part, thanks to the mm. plethora of, of individual talent they've got in the, in the final third. That, In terms of, of the process to get there, I'm not convinced at all.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem that Saar, who has been excellent in the last few weeks and is as exciting as we'd hoped he would be. Uh, and I suppose Ken Semmer as well, who we didn't know as much about, didn't have as lofty expectations about their performances in the final third, potentially papering over some some cracks in the system anyway. Um, but that is the benefit of having exceptional football players in your team. And let's talk about some of the other sides. Um, Swansea, for example, they they sort of feel to me like a really good team a team that that is better than last season um or at least at the same level as they were to finish last season where they were pretty good we saw in games recently didn't we uh this week in fact in draw in a draw against Brentford and a pretty unfortunate i would say defeat uh, against Norwich where i think a draw again would have been a a fair result that that they can mix it with the teams at the top i think that's i think that's very encouraging for swans the other thing that i think is encouraging which swans fans think is the opposite is that the current issue uh, on social media amongst swansea fans from what i've seen is certainly off the back of the weekend you know a num- that they haven't got the number nine to finish the chances that jamal Lowe, especially in front of goal uh, has been lacking precision has been missing a lot of good chances and the the, the reason i sort of smile as i say this is we said this a little bit about Leeds last season, even though that was like this on a, on steroids, was like, if that's your main issue, if, <laughs> if your main problem in your eyes is that, you, is that your number nine isn't quite as good at finishing chances as you'd like him to be, that's probably better than most of the main issues of most of your rivals. So I think you're, you're probably in pretty good shape in that sense. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Swans go um, over the next few weeks. I'm feeling pretty pretty positive about them. Yeah, and I
1: think with Jamal Lowe, I mean, he's a, he, he's never been a like a, a particularly prolific player at Pompey. He's somebody who'll score goals though. And mm. as you mentioned, he's getting into very good positions. I think mean, he's had 19 shots inside the penalty area already this season, scoring two of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you can continue to create chances like that, this is going to be one of those, you know, it's just, it's just the way it falls and, and he will end up putting a couple of those away pretty quickly. And then, and then the kind of the ratio will look a lot better. I mean, the, the thing that I really like about Swansea is their consistency It feels like they are a side who do not throw in the odd kind of ricket of a a performance. They are solid defensively. They're good going forward. You can be pretty sure that, um, you know, they're not going to lie down Mm -hmm. and they certainly have the quality as well to, to, you know, comfortably beat the worst teams in the league. Their two defeats this season were away at Norwich, which, you know, I think is, which was on on the weekend, which is understandable, going down to a late goal. And then they lost to Huddersfield um, at home, which was a game um, which you know was probably the one anomaly. But Huddersfield were uncharacteristically at the time brilliant. That was kind of the, the game where Huddersfield's performances and form turned. So, yeah, I, I'm you know I'd probably, in terms of having a safe bet, I'd rather say that Swansea will be in the top six than I would, for example, Watford, because we, we know what we're getting, even if the quality of the players isn't necessarily at the same level and and I think that Steve Cooper continues to do one of the one of the most underrated jobs in the EFL at the moment because the the progression of the club the consistency the playing style since Graham Potter left for a rookie manager has been just consistently good consistently on the upward curve Um, and yeah uh, whether it's this season or next season if it carries on it'll end up with them returning to the Premier League which was always the aim.
0: In fifth is another side like Reading, who started the season really hot, picked up 12 points in their first four games. This is Bristol City. Uh, Since then, well, they then went on a run of two points in five uh, before winning their last two. George, on Friday night, we got a a close look at them. Uh, They played Cardiff live on Sky. They went ahead after two minutes uh, and they held on for a 1-0 win, uh, all while we were playing fan slide alongside things. Hmm. Uh, What did you make of of Bristol City? Uh, And I think yet another fan slide defeat to your great friend and co-host Ali Maxwell.
1: I was just relieved because you were at the top end of the table. So I was just, I basically just was looking at that for most of the, uh, most of the second half. I, I did actually text you being like, God, God of Bristol city. I can barely remember it. Despite the fact that I watched the whole thing. Um, I think I was so engrossed in the fan experience. The game kind of passed me by, but it was that kind of game. I, I was excited before the match that I thought we were going to get, a pretty open affair you know i'd seen how bristol city had been um carved open fairly recently by a couple of sides including norwich uh, the week before and i think in a way the early goal i mean often early goals can can lead to games being incredibly entertaining because suddenly you've got one side who um you know have to attack at every opportunity and that often leaves gaps in behind but in this case bristol city didn't really show a great deal of willingness to try and build on that lead, which is understandable. Um, Cardiff created a fair amount, but but not a great deal. Um, Harry Wilson had a couple of decent chances um, and should have done better. It feels like he's somebody who's much more adept at scoring 30 yarders than, than three yarders. Um, but I mean, with, with Bristol City, it's hard, it's hard to kind of make a fist exactly where they are because certainly, like Reading, they were not as good as their opening few games suggested it's so easy at the beginning of the season to get caught up in this like if you think if you win five games in a row if your first five games of the season you are immediately massively kind of hiked up in terms of expectations and the way people perceive you if you win five games in a row across november and december it, it, it barely registers people don't you know, except for you and I who talk about it and are looking at this, the general kind of championship or the league that you're in narrative doesn't really change. It's just, it's going to see you rising up the table pretty quickly, but not suddenly elevated to this idea of being the best team in the league. So with Bristol City, you know, that form came to an end, which wasn't surprising, but they've backed that up since with two away wins. Uh, Again, like Reading, I think they're probably a side who are at best a playoff side. At the moment, I, I don't think they're any better than that. Um, but certainly the last couple of results have been important to ensure that whatever happened early on, you know, that progress, that start under Dean Holden wasn't just written off because now they come into a couple of home games. First one against the team at the bottom of the, t- the table with six points under their belt. And especially after the Norwich game where, you know, the, the famous Naki Wells Penenka, a lot of penalties missed since then. Um, it was important to get back on track, and, and all credit to
0: Dean Holden for doing that. The, the problem is, despite that good start, because the range of points between teams is still so low. You know, they're only three points above tenth, four points above eleventh. If they, if they aren't that good, Bristol City, if they are a mid-table side, for example, which we're still kind of yet to put our finger on, then they will drop. Fairly, swiftly, I, I would suggest. There's still so long to go, of course. Um, what about Stoke? I think uh, just just, just one, one thing as well, just one thing with Bristol City is I think
1: we, we can't say that they aren't good, if that makes sense. They're, they're, unlike Reading, well, I'm happy to say right now that like Reading are not a top six team or not a top four team. I think with Bristol City, the potential is there. The quality of player is there. The performance of the time of the season have matched that. They are clearly one of the better sides in the division in terms of they will win or, sorry, they'll win or draw more games than they'll lose. Like I can be pretty safe in saying that. So I'd say there is wriggle room with them for a good run. Although I would kind
0: of put them in that same bracket of where I probably imagine they'll finish. The wriggling Robins. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Stoke and Middlesbrough, I think, uh, are the last ones to talk about in this gang. Uh, Middlesbrough have just eased their way into contention. They haven't lost since a 1-0 defeat on opening day from a Craig Cathcart header from a corner. They've kept six clean sheets in their last seven games. In that time, they have faced only eight shots on target in seven games, which is absolutely ridiculous uh, numbers-wise defensively. They've only faced 24 shots on target overall in their 11 games. Uh, For context, the next best is Reading with 34. So they are well clear on defensive numbers and they are absolutely strangling teams. Uh, George, when it comes to Stoke, they're celebrating a year of Michael O'Neill. clearly been a fantastic appointment from where they were at the bottom of the second tier when he took over with eight points from 15 games. Uh, to where they are now, towards the top end. I mean, we predicted them to finish fifth. So for the third season in a row, we were coming at this with quite high expectations. They're just outside the playoffs at the moment. But um, as we mentioned, you know, four points off the top. They're they're in pretty good nick. What do you make of these two sides, Borough and Stoke? Um, If I was to pick one team in the championship
1: that I am going to say are much better than their position it would be, drumroll, Middlesbrough. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime in this job, Ali, you've got to eat some humble pie. And I was sitting here in September or August saying that, you know, the, it was a lazy narrative saying that Warnock's going to come into a side that's been so poor for a season and just completely turn it around with the same set of players. I mean, he's, he's proving me wrong very, very quickly. They are so good. Just I mean, that they're, they're not playing a brand of football that is... Um, Foreign to those who've seen Neil Warnock's sides play, they're not suddenly like a, a beautiful attacking unit, but they are good going forward, and they are incredibly solid at the back. They seem to have that like Neil Warnock ability, just to just to sit on games, just no matter how good the Oppo are, just be like, right, we are happy in our defensive shape here, not to concede very many chances, and we know that we have the pace on the break with with Britisombolonga and um and Chuka Atpom to um to trouble you, so. If anything, I mean they've been impressive and their performances and their results have been very good. You know, they haven't lost since opening day in a game they shouldn't have lost against Watford. Um, but I think they could have picked up more points from those games. I think if you're looking specifically at the last few, they've had a, a like a tough run of fixtures recently. they they had a, got a good point on the weekend against Brentford in a game a few chances. They were very, very good away at Blackburn and should have won that game. Um, again, against Cardiff a couple of weeks ago, the same story. It just feels to me like a side who know their job and know that what they're doing very well. If anything, you know, I think they are what Stoke are kind of perceived as, and and, and this that's no slight on Stoke because, as you say, Michael O'Neill, another one who's doing a brilliant job and he's improved them Im- immeasurably from last season. And with both Stoke and and Borough, we have to remember where they were this time a year ago. I think when judging how the managers are doing, because both were mired in a relegation scrap, and both, you know, were probably the two clubs who were performing the worst compared to their budget and where we'd expect them to in the whole league. That has of course impacted where we expected them to be this season. But I mean, with Stoke, you've got a side who we think of as being very solid. We think of as being, you know, in the, um, created in the way that Michael likes to play football, but they've conceded 12 goals this season. You know, they've, they won on the weekends. Um, you know, they conceded three against, against Watford. They won three, three on the weekend against uh, a Reading side, but it's, it's been fairly haphazard, despite that, unlike Borough, who've only conceded five goals this season, you know, who are able to win games, scoring the odd goal without having to worry too much about what's going on behind them. So, I mean, two two sides who are certainly going the right way. I think the general perception seems to be that Stoke could be the ones to really push on, but I would say that Borough, I mean, I'd, I'd definitely have Borough in a match
0: bet over Stoke. I think one good and one less good thing to say about Stoke is they have had a very tough fixture list. It's still early in the season to, to really get too much from this. But if you go on the website Soccer Stats and you go on an individual league, let's say the Championship, you can take a look at, at basically the analysis of the fixtures' difficulty, uh, which basically takes the points per game, either at home or away, depending on where they played them, of all of their opposition so far this season and creates a sort of average um, strength of schedule difficulty level. And Stoker right up there with one of the toughest fixture lists. So that's a, a big boon for them that they've picked up the the points that they have another statty thing though they are running very hot finishing wise they've actually had the fewest shots on target per game in the whole league Stoke um, but they're scoring with every other shot on target um, which rarely mm. stretches out over a full season so you'd want to see them um, increase their, their, their output I guess in terms of their shot stats their xg numbers uh, if they're to sort of really kick on and, and get higher than where they are at the moment in eighth I think what one caveat to that is that I've been thinking a lot about Tyrese Campbell this weekend. Uh, I really enjoyed his performance. Again, not for the first time this season. A young player that we've been wanting to see more and more of for a few years now since he had a loan at Shrewsbury. And Michael O'Neill just can't really ignore him anymore, which is great. And the reason I was thinking about him a lot is, uh, as many people will know, we're involved with a, a football startup called Five Yards, which will be launching very, very soon, which is very, very exciting. Uh, and hopefully you guys will be very, very pleased with the product when it does launch. And I was writing a a scout report about uh, Tyrese Campbell on the site. And he, even in quite a a young career so far, is consistently outperforming his XG. And it reminded me, his finishing specifically, and what I think is potentially an elite part of his game as he develops, reminds me a little bit of Jared Bowen. Not just because of the left-footedness, but also just the types of finishes that he produces. He seems to hit the ball with just that extra bit of precision and accuracy and power uh, that a lot of of players at this level maybe don't have in their locker. And that's got me really excited. And looking at Bowen's XG numbers uh, over his career, he's just constantly like, outperforming it but not by such a huge amount that you'd be worried about like big regression. I think Tyrese Campbell might be that sort of finisher. So um, that's something to keep an eye on in terms of the underlying numbers. Campbell, I mean, you know, he hit the post with such a lovely little effort on the weekend. That's the sort of thing that he seems to be doing uh, every week at the moment. So Really exciting stuff. Um, Let's move on from the top bit of the championship. Um, We might touch on some of those teams in the middle um, just after this, but let's talk about the bottom quickly, where you've got Derby and Sheffield Wednesday on six points. Worth remembering that Sheffield Wednesday have actually gained 12 points for their performances, but minus six. Now, moving forward, uh, Wickham are on seven, uh, and above the relegation zone, Coventry are on eight, before a leap to 12 points, which is Rotherham and Nottingham Forest with QPR, Birmingham, Barnsley, Cardiff and Preston, all on 13. I think we have to start with Derby, don't we, George? Because this was the weekend where they hit rock bottom of the championship and potentially rock bottom in the recent history of of Derby County at the very least. I suppose what what I want to discuss is how bad is it uh, and, and, and what we will use to help us with this discussion is a brilliant piece on The Athletic. Our sponsors, Ryan Conway, covers Derby County for this. His piece was, if Derby look in the mirror, what will they see? The context of that was Liam Rossini's post-match interview. Very strong words from the man who was tasked with filling in for Philip Cocker, who who was self-isolating. Um, how bad is it for Derby, George, you know, based on what you've seen and also based on that Ryan Conway piece? Yeah, it's really bad.
1: There's no way to dress it up because the data is bad, the performances are bad, the results are bad. The style of play has vanished from from last season, um, where towards the end of the season they looked so good. The the form, the reason why I thought they would kick on this season is because certain players, the notable the notable except, uh, exception being Lee Buchanan, who has been very good, but notable young players who we probably expected to kick on, haven't done that. Louis Sibley's been woefully short of form. Jason Knight has played okay, but you know the reliance, I guess, on these guys to do it isn't really very healthy. Also, the, the fact that, that you know most of the goals that they score are direct free kicks from either Wayne Rooney or Martin Waghorn is also just ridiculous. You One cannot goal from have a team. Play. Yeah, I mean, their, their conversion rate, as Ryan says in the piece, is 6.25%. Now, that is awful, but at the same time, that isn't going to track over the course of the season. Now, that is the way to remember, to think about this: is that you know, we talk about teams when they're running hot as being, being unsustainable. I can guarantee you, if Derby carry on playing football exactly the way they are, more goals are going to go in the back of the net. There, there is no way it carries on like this. So, you know, it's it's almost unlucky for them and for Philip Koku that you know we're talking about them at what should be rock bottom. Whether or not Koku is the person who gets to enjoy the natural um, way that that will turn around, shots will start to go in. Um, I'm not sure. It, it seems probably in his case fairly um, favourable that Derby are midway through a takeover because I'm pretty sure Mel Morris will have absolutely no interest in paying off a manager's contract just before selling the club. Whether or not um, you know there'll be a, an arrangement with the new owners to do so, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but certainly there's there's little to suggest so far that Derby are any better than a relegation side, relegation side. But I would, again, just caveat that by saying things can't continue to be this poor. You can't, you know, scoring one goal from open play despite creating not a great deal because, you know, the, their XG numbers are still fairly poor, but but better than this. And, you know, things will start to turn. Things will start to get better. As I say, whether... You know, the chances are when things do start to get better, whoever's the manager at the time will get credited with that when actually, you know, it's probably just just a natural course of, of the way things go.
0: It's a brilliant piece by Ryan, as always. I mean, he must be the busiest of all sort of club-specific journalists of The Athletic uh, since he took charge, if you will, last season. The on-field and off-field goings-on at Derby County have been remarkable and, and show no sign of letting up off the field, certainly with the potential takeover potentially uh, a change of manager we wait and see but Ryan will be across it all um, and you can be too if you subscribe to The Athletic we would uh, suggest that you give it a go today if you're not a subscriber. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 will get you a seven-day free trial so you can check out everything on site before you move ahead with an annual subscription. You'll get 50% off if you do continue Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. It was good to see Christian Bielek back starting uh, for Derby on the weekend. That was a big positive for me, a player that I've always really, really liked who I think can offer a lot. Uh, George, elsewhere in the bottom three, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham, as I mentioned, those two sides have scored six goals, just one more than Derby's five. Pretty impressive that Sheffield Wednesday have managed to pick up 12 points on the pitch despite only scoring six goals. Um, George, out of that bottom three and the chunk of teams above them, uh, who are you feeling some positivity for and who are you fearing for in terms of relegation? I, I, I think we've got to
1: just say outright firstly that we can just draw a line through Nottingham Forest because they are just a different side now to the one that meant that they were down there to start with. We're seeing an immediate reaction from, well, whether it's a reaction or whether it's just what I was just talking about with Derby, um, we're seeing a change uh, in their results under under Chris Houghton And, you know, what we know about Chris Houghton would suggest that's going to continue. Um, Rotherham feel to me like a side who have, um, have, the, have the ability to put in performances which should see them away from away from this area um you know the, the one on Saturday against Preston the defeat against Norwich certainly at home they can do this but away from home they are troubling and you know whether that would be enough over the course of the season I, I don't necessarily think so um the one team I'm probably the most worried about outside the drop zone and I'll let you take Wickham and Sheffield Wednesday because I feel like I've spoken about Wickham enough to last the whole season in the last couple of weeks um a Coventry um Certainly, individually, Coventry have good players who, you know, I like watching. Um, Gustavo Hama being one of them, um, Callum O'Hare being another who doesn't play enough, in my opinion. Um, much was thought of some of the players that came in. Um, I haven't been as impressed with Ostergaard as I'd hoped. I haven't been as impressed with Sheaf as, as I'd hoped certain players from last season who were important in in the campaign, not really showing the similar kind of form. Michael Rose being one, um, Fancati Darbo being being another, in and out of the team as well. Um, They're just, for all of the kind of, and and I guess the thing is with Coventry is is to remember that the level of the step up from where we anticipated them being last season, you know, all of the stuff we said in the summer about, you know, Mark Robbins being a great manager, about the recruitment being brilliant, that can all be true, and they can still get relegated. You know, that 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 is the fact of the matter because the step up from League One to the Championship is so big, it's so pronounced. Um, but they just look like a team who who don't have the defensive tools or or the defensive shape to really live with some of the better attacking teams in the league, who aren't creating a great deal of chances either. They often look very rushed in possession when I've watched them as well. Um, you know, the odd good result here, obviously, the Reading win was brilliant, but that comes smack in the, in the middle of four defeats. So if I was to to pick a side not in the relegation zone at the moment, and it's not a huge call given they're they're one point out of it, um, it would be Coventry who I'd be most concerned about.
0: I don't have a huge amount to add on, on Sheffield Wednesday or Wickham, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I think all the same things about, as you do when it comes to Wickham, my like long-term concerns about robustness and certainly about um, a, a lack of the sort of defensive prowess that I think they, they need um, linger on, even with it, it, performances having improved. Uh, so they've still got a big job to do. And I'm not feeling hugely confident about Sheffield Wednesday either. They've obviously been given six points back. That means that instead of having to be around a playoff type side in order to stay up which is kind of what we thought based on average finishes and average points totals in recent years now they probably need to be a mid table side to stay up i'm not i'm not sure that they definitely will be to be quite honest that the numbers aren't particularly good um There's not a consistency of performance that I'm seeing. There have been some really, really bad days already. And some of the wins, you know, without wanting to be flippant, I can kind of explain away as being maybe a little bit lucky. Certainly, that Bournemouth win in midweek, you know, it was Bournemouth's first defeat. It, It looked like an incredible victory on paper. It didn't feel like an incredible victory watching it back. Um, it, it felt like a pretty miserable refereeing decision. Um, helped them get three points rather than maybe one in, in that game. So I'm not feeling that positive about Sheffield Wednesday. Out of the, the, the other group, I agree with, with Coventry, the worst defensive record in the league. And how easy is that to fix? I would suggest not that easy. That they've looked a little bit better in the last few games going forward with the addition of Biamo's physical presence. But that is a big concern. And I'm not convinced about QPR, I have to say. Um, they, they've picked up some decent results already this season, but um, I, I would say generally I haven't been too impressed with them. I still think that defensively they're a soft touch. I'm not convinced that this is the sort of squad that looks like fully robust for a 46-game season. It's quite a young squad. Um And I would certainly raise some concerns about QPR as a team who are currently just outside it, who I think might stick around in in the relegation picture. Um, Whereas Rotherham, I think we'll we'll have enough from what I've seen. Um, Their goal difference of of minus two through 11 games, I think kind of sums up how tight the majority of their games have been. How much better they've been going forward than we've seen previously when they've been at this level in recent years, which is really encouraging. And just the way that they are causing teams a lot of problems. There's been, issues with like maintaining that over 90 minutes with game management and whatnot but i do think just generally they certainly look like of the three promoted sides that the strongest the most robust so i'm feeling positive about rotherham uh before we move on to league one just out of the the, the middle pack i guess and maybe taking a look at some some underlying numbers because uh, i know you like a bit of that george we both do um <laughs> Would I be right or wrong to say that of the teams in the middle, you would predict Blackburn and Brentford to be the two who would probably move up some places in the near in the in the short to mid term?
1: Yes, I don't know if I've got anything to add to that. I think yeah, they're both the two sides who everything about them suggests that they are in a forced position. You kind of mentioned um, goal difference there, and you know, goal difference at this early stage can be quite a good simple um metric just to kind of see beyond the points tally and because it shows you know the the level of dominance or the level of 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 weakness that a team is showing within games themselves so for example seeing that Wickham Derby Coventry have a minus 11 goal difference um compared to kind of Rotherham and and Forest on minus two and minus three it will show you know when things are going wrong how badly they're going wrong you know, Blackburn and Brentford have plus seven and plus five in their mid table, and I think that just shows you that they are two sides who um, you know can really put teams away in terms of of the XG side of things. Again, if you're looking at their season to date, they are first and second. Um, but more, you know, it's important not to get too stuck into the kind of what you were saying about the league table at the beginning, into the positions. We should probably talk about the, the ratio here in Brentford at 67.67, which is about the same as they were for the season last season. Blackburn 65.75. Again, promotion XG ratio there of the course of the season. So they would definitely be the two sides um, if I were to to predict a um, a six, you know, a, a top six at the moment. Both Blackburn and Brentford would probably—I mean, Brentford certainly would be—and Blackburn would probably in, be in it as well. And, and when you look at the, you know, there's nothing surprising about this. When you look at the, their their one to elevens, when you look at who's scoring their goals, you know, they, they should be two of the best teams in the league. Blackburn went for it towards the end of the window to improve their squads and um, what was already, you know, a very capable Championship squad. So yeah, I mean, I'd be more bullish on on, on Brentford because it feels like the Blackburn run could be a little bit above their natural um, position, but I'm, I'm sure they'll both finish above where they are now.
0: Yeah, I think the the leap that Blackburn appear to have taken from last season is notable here, if not in terms of current league position or even current points per game, just on the eye test on, on how they look um, and certainly on the underlying numbers, they, they do appear to be a different beast this season, which is exciting and hopefully will start to, to bear fruit on the pitch. They finished uh, the game or they started the game on Saturday with a back four all from the academy as well, which is uh, always something we need to flag up and, and applaud. George, before we get into League One, a uh, quick chat about our sponsors fan slide. was another busy weekend on the app and uh, I've got a smile on my face because for some of us, a <laughs> successful one. I presume you're talking about beating me again in the championship
1: game on Friday night. Um Partly. Yeah, you partly. You did beat me in the Carliff Bristol City game. I must say my clean sheet tactic went out of the window after forty seconds for the first lot, so that was quite frustrating. But um yeah, I was I was a bit worried when I saw you up in the top five with a few games to play, but it did make me laugh how you then put in the chat room on fan slide. I'm coming for you and then literally 30 seconds later you are coming like 17 which was quite good <laughs> um, but I got a you very stealthily I mean apparently I can't believe you were watching Premier League football but you quite stealthily joined a fan game because obviously all televised games are live on fanslide,
0: not just this EFL stuff we talk about and I think you got off the mark didn't you I went and won it. The, the Chelsea-Sheffield United game that I was just using as a, as a trip to the driving range just to hone my skills ended up uh, taking the trophy home with me, which was made all the sweeter by the fact that my brother came second. And I just went ahead of him right at the end when a, uh, a Mendy times three clean sheet hit just as the clock hit 90. Uh, it was a hell of a moment and I was thrilled. But I want to win... Uh, an EFL game. That's how I will really prove uh, my, my fan slide chops. We won't have that this weekend. Of course it's it's international break, but we will be playing during the England Belgium game. We hope that you'll join us there. George is going to be talking a lot about Jack Grealish. I'm going to be talking a lot about how many of the England players have uh, made their way through the EFL and, uh, and and looking on with a lot of pride, a, a great sense of pride there. Uh, but congrats to those who did win on Friday night. Harry Wright took the £50 prize and there were many other good finishers. Dan Heegney. I think it was his first game and he finished in the top five. So really impressive, guys. Make sure you join us on Fanside this Sunday uh, for England versus Belgium is the perfect way of having some fun while you watch a game on the telly. So we'll see you there. That is the Fan Slide app, which you can download for free and play for free. Uh, we're loving it, and we think you will too. Let's look at League One now. Uh, the, the main headline from this stat overview is that there have been very few draws which is random, Uh, draws almost always account for about 27-28% of of all matches. Not in League One, just 18% of games are being drawn. Um, 48% being won by the home side and 35% by the away side. So away wins are still higher than a normal season in League One, but the home win percentage is also a touch higher than usual. What does it mean? I've got absolutely no idea. (laughs) Maybe, working hypothesis, that there's a, a, a big gap between the Quite a large group of good sides at the top of the table and the group of teams towards the bottom of the table. Would that spit out fewer draws than normal? Again, I don't know, but let's say that. Uh, 2.51 goals per game, so much better than the Championship. Still a little lower than than usual uh, in League One, but not by much. So we like League One. Uh, and at the top, you've got Peterborough on 25 points. They are three points ahead of the next best. Ipswich, Lincoln and Charlton on 22 Charlton have played 10 games rather than the 11 that Ipswich and Lincoln have played. On 21 points, Hull and Sunderland, who have both only played 10. Uh, and on 20, Portsmouth. And um, below them, Argyle on 18, Donny on 17, Fleetwood on 16. So basically, Georgia a pretty fast start for, you'd say, seven teams, really, um, who have given themselves a serious platform to build on um, for, for the next three quarters, approx of this season. Uh, what do you make of the, the top end of League One? quite troubling really um, oh I think it's excellent no
1: no is it, is it, is it, I'm an Oxford fan so it's quite troubling really <laughs> right, okay. um, yeah, Peterborough are a good place to start given they've currently got 25 points and I am kind of I'm all aboard the Peterborough bus really um, where you know I tip them up to be Oxford on the betting show and um, generally they are a team who I want to be with and I think in a way the kind of creative and goal-scoring burden being shared amongst the side maybe makes them a better, more cohesive unit this time around. I'm not saying that losing Ivan Toni was good, but that hasn't seemed to have made them noticeably weaker. And, you know, I, you and I spoke before the podcast and we said it was important not to make this too datary, but this is the time to talk about it. Because I was just surprised looking at the League One XG chat and just seeing how... Posh's defence is just not great and getting worse. Um, You know, I think in their last four games, they have conceded about 1.45 expected goals per game, which is only worse. There are only like three or four teams in the league have a worse against than that. Um, And it's kind of trending the wrong way. Obviously, they are a side who can score and we've seen them do so um, at a rate of knots and, kind of ease themselves clear very quickly but their kind of spectacle support isn't that great either in that time kind of both Bristol Rovers Shrewsbury you know these are the sides that they're conceding these numbers against two I was, was going to say just to add
0: poorest to side so far. add another layer to this quickly I took a look at the, the sort of strength of schedule Posh have had a fairly kind fixtures especially their home games so certainly compared to Lincoln and Sunderland who have been at the opposite end of the spectrum with very tough fixtures that's quite a nice little layer of, uh, of context to apply to the numbers as well
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm definitely not saying this is a kind of a false position, and we can expect them to fly down the table. It's just something to note. This isn't a reading. This isn't like a yeah, be wary here. They're going to end up mid table at all. But we have to look for trends, and you know, four games is a is a is a tiny sample size. Whatever, um, but it just it feels to me like the because of you know, because Posh were a good side last season, because they ended the season very well last season, because there's all the noise from the club and the owners feeling very aggrieved as to having not had their chance to go up last season. I think basically everybody involved with the club believes that not only would they have got in the playoffs, but they'd have gone up automatically. And that kind of filters into our perception of them this season because they're three points clear and everything. It just kind of feels like it's snowballing into an inevitable promotion.
0: So all I'm saying is, and that, might well be the case. Um, well, they're, not helped, I, they're know, not helped by the fact that there are some pretty robust looking challenges as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's not as simple as them just, you know, blitzing the league. Um, so all I'm saying is don't be surprised if it's not that simple. Um, you know, of the challenges behind them, um, Ipswich, Charlton and Lincoln, I mean, I'll start with a positive so it's not a negative on a negative. Um, and, I, and I think Lincoln are are there on merit? I think to kind of the the untrained—that um, sounds a bit, <laughs> a bit a bit much—to to like the layman who who has a passing interest in League One. If you look, if they were to look at the um, League One table at the moment and see Peterborough, Ipswich, Charlton, Lincoln, Hull, Sunderland, Portsmouth, and you ask them to pick the club who are probably going to end up falling away from it, Lincoln would be the one you're drawn to because that wasn't necessarily where they're expected to be. If you look at the size of the club, the budget, and everything. But what I'm seeing is, is in terms of their performances and um, the numbers behind them, is they're probably the ones who are almost looking the most solid, who are there on merit totally. whose who's consistency in their performances doesn't really waver. And, you know, despite losing back-to-back games now, I wouldn't be too downhearted if they're a side who I expect to bounce back to form and, and continue to be playing in that vein.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say that I think Lincoln are pretty legit as well. The the numbers are obviously good, which is part of the reason why we would think that. But while they may have been boosted a little by the early season penalty quirk that they've had, I think it's six pens in their first 10 games it was, and that's going to massively uh, inflate your, certainly your attacking numbers. Uh, And I don't think it's done so in a way that's covering up like huge deficiencies outside of that. Um, And yeah, I think they're looking fairly legit, I think, um, to be a, a certainly a playoff challenger, not to fall away massively. But the problem with that is that there are so many good sides. I mean, Charlton's current run is obviously insane and will slow down somewhat. When it does, when Charlton settle a little bit, what will be their general level? Because I think it could be quite high. Like, that, they're, they're clearly... You know they're clearly leaning a little bit on um, some some poor finishing from the opposition, some clinical finishing from them uh, during this run. In a way that we wouldn't think would would go for another thirty five games, but I think they could settle down into a very good side, and we sh- and we wouldn't be surprised to see that based on the players that they've signed, the squad that they now have, and more pertinently, sadly because it, it, it's quite basic, it, it doesn't take too long to realise that without large off-the-field issues. Lee Bowyer can put together a serious football team at this level, which we know because we saw it just two years ago. And um, So I would expect them to be up there, um, sort of running out of teams to not be positive about. Sunderland's numbers are sensational. The fans are still have uh, uh, some issues with the style of play, the stodgy nature of the way that they attack, which I kind of see, but they still do create good chances, mostly for Wyke at the moment. Um, and they've got, you know, even, you know those players that play behind like, if you like the likes of Gooch and Maguire and dare I say it, even Leadbitter and Power at times like they've all got quality for this level that can really help support I suppose and and maybe 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 outdo the numbers somewhat I don't know if that's the right thing to say and, and defensively we know that they are always going to be pretty robust I guess Ipswich is the one I wouldn't be like that mm. confident on at the moment there's probably a, a certainly a uh, an extent to which this is just sort of once bitten from last season, twice shy this season and just wondering, I suppose you could say this about Sunderland and certainly Portsmouth still with those three clubs, Ipswich, Sunderland, Portsmouth, it feels like things would be considered quite desperate were they to go on a poor run of form. Like, negative emotions would be stirred in a, in a in a larger sense for them so it, it would be a case of their managers Lambert, Parkinson, uh, Jacket being able to ride out those storms were they to come mm. um, but yeah and, and I still don't really know what to think about Hull other than that I expect them to keep accumulating quite a lot of points I expect them to be better than any team they play that's outside of this top 10 and, and a lot's going to hinge on how they do against teams around them. So far, we've seen them lose to Peterborough. We've seen them get thrashed by, by Fleetwood. You know, that hasn't been particularly impressive. So maybe that's what we'll mm. hold Hull back. Um, that's my thinking anyway on on the current top seven. But I'm honestly, yeah. I'm not too down on any of these teams, which kind of makes for a really exciting promotion picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny because my opinion on, on the three kind of key teams here, Ipswich, Sunderland and Pompey just hasn't really changed over the course of a year where (laughs) if we had done this podcast then I'd have said to you um, well actually with with Sunderland it would have been a bit different because that was back in the Jack Ross days but Ipswich I think are in a false position I just don't think they're the second best team in the league I I think um, that is going to change fairly soon if I was to predict which of the three managers of Kenny Jackett Phil Parkinson and, and Paul Lambert will be out of a job in a year's or in six months time it would probably probably well, I don't know if it would be Ipswich because it feels like he's under the least pressure. He's also got because he's second. also got the longest contract. <laughs> but then it's just it's just it's the narrative around the league table again. I mean, I know that Pompey fans didn't like it when I said it the other day, but Sunderland on 21 points, they're sixth. They've got a game in hand on the top two, so if they win that game in hand, they are um, one point off Peterborough, who they would see at the moment as being like where they should be. They're. Again, going back to expected goals, their XG ratio is 69%. So it's better than both of the teams we were just discussing in the championship. Um, it means that they are basically dominant in every game. Like, just give the process a chance to work. Like, it, It's going to be fine. They are trending massively the right way. At the moment league position is so irrelevant. And the, the idea of kind of the stodgy football, if you're scoring goals and you're winning games, like this, this is Sunderland, you need to get out of League One. Just, Except that, you know, Phil Parkinson has the ability to get you the points needed. With Pompey, it's it's a similar story. They they're a side who I, I still think, you know, at, at this kind of embryonic stage, still of, of, of eleven games in, they're fine. Like they're they're ticking along at nearly two points a game. That they, they've dropped points and matches they should have they should have won. They're probably going to go forward and win those games now. Um, you know, if, if we had if we had a mini league now of Sunderland, Portsmouth and, and Ipswich playing each other twice each, Ipswich would be the outsider of three by miles for me, by miles. So it's funny. I mean, we'll see how it changes. But you mentioned about the championship, how league position wasn't important. And it just feels like second, sixth sixth, and seventh here seem to be dictating the way these clubs are viewed, despite there only being two points between them. It's bizarre.
0: Focusing on the bottom of League uh... Uh, You've got three teams on just seven points, and they are Wigan Athletic, Burton Albion, and Shrewsbury Town. Two points above them, Oxford, who have a couple of games in hand, and Swindon. Uh, You've got 10 points for MK Dons and Crewe, uh, 11 for the Cobblers of Northampton, and 12 for Rochdale and Bristol Rovers and Accrington. But Accrington have only played seven league games so far this season. They have been uh, shafted by the somewhat farcical uh, situation surrounding COVID-19 and the lower leagues. Their, their points per game, Accrington, is actually the eighth, the ninth best in the division, but they've only played seven games so far. Um, let's take a look at some of these. Wigan, I guess because of the off-field context here, we found it difficult to be negative about them in, in the early days because we understood the difficulty that they were having selling off all of their players, essentially, um, not really being able to bring many or any in to replace them, losing their talismanic manager in Paul Cook, and getting in John Sheridan, sort of, sort of shuffled in quite quietly, didn't he, Sheridan, and, and clearly has a very, very tough job on his hands. They have picked up a couple of really eye-catching wins as well, but but more generally, those haven't been sustained in their performances at all, and they're in quite a lot of trouble. I think. You can see by the team that they played in their last league game how much they're struggling here, squad depth-wise and just squad continuity-wise. Um, their defensive numbers are terrible. They just they just cannot stop the opposition from getting the ball into dangerous areas, and it's really undermining them because going forward, they've, they've been okay at times. You know, when you've got uh, Solomon Ottabor and Cal Naismith, depending on where he's playing, and Joe Garner, um, you know, you've got some quality in that team to create chances, but what they can't seem to do is, is restrict the opposition. So I'm, I'm pretty fearful for Wigan. Um, we'll see what happens with the takeover, which as far as I can tell, still hasn't really properly gone through what they might be able to do in in January to, to try and boost the squad. Um, I suppose that would be the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I also haven't got a huge amount of positive positivity, George for Burton and Shrewsbury here, partly because there's four teams that go down in league one. So it's very difficult to get yourself fully out of it. Burton can't seem to get ahead in games at all. concede the softest goals imaginable. <sighs> yeah, and Shrewsbury almost the opposite. they have no cutting edge whatsoever. like you'd never back Shrewsbury to score more than one goal and in most games, you're not surprised if they don't score any at all. So I, I wonder with with those I suppose at this stage of the season when we're talking about teams at the bottom, normally we would talk, we would say, some of these teams might change manager and sometimes that comes with an improvement in their fortunes. I, I wonder if one or both Burton and Shrews will because they're, they they both have ownership groups, certainly that you don't associate with sackings, managerial changes. So, um, that, that's, I'd be very surprised yeah. if, Burton, if Burton do. That's the bottom three at the moment. I mean, I don't know if you have anything to add on that lot. You've obviously got Oxford in the bottom three as well. Um, Swindon level on points with Oxford, same amount of games played above them Northampton, uh, Crew, MK Dons, Rochdale. Any thoughts on that group of teams?
1: Yeah, I think the, the kind of there seems to be quite a clear line here with Shrewsbury, Burton, and Wigan being three of the worst teams in the league. I would say that Oxford, MK Dons, Crew sitting above them, are all in kind of false positions at the moment. I'm not saying they are and certainly Oxford have some serious defensive issues that need sorting. MK Dons, I think, are, are far better than 19th, are far better than a point in the game, and, and they'll show that in time. That the same can be said of Crew, hmm. Swindon... That's not
0: great news for Swindon, Northampton and Rochdale well, then, I guess.
1: I think it's bad news for Swindon, certainly, who have been poor this season and have now lost their... you know, Having having lost the key players in the summer of Doyle, Yates um, and the like, and, and Doughty, of course. They have now lost the main man, who is Richie Wellens. So um Lee Power has a pretty appalling record of appointing managers before Wellens. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, the Noel Hunts um kind of taking charge of the time being and the statement itself seems to suggest that would be a fairly long-term interim appointment as they look for a new manager. So yeah, I, mean, I, I would be pretty concerned if I was a Swindon fan. Um The only other team... You know, I, I don't think Northampton and Rochdale are necessarily up to much, but, but I think we have to talk about Gillingham because Gillingham are looking like the worst team in the league at the moment. Um, oh, the, the, the five defeats in a row, the manner of them until the Sunderland defeat was so abject and just defensively so poor. The game before that was the match that we spoke about on the pod against Oxford where Oxford had about 30 shots. So kind of the not the writing was on the wall, but there was a sign that this was coming. Um, even the win against Crewe on Tuesday, you know, I said on the Totally Football League show, extra time that this was a really important win, but the manner of it was not convincing in any way at all. If I were, yeah, if I were to pick out a team in League One that I'm most concerned about, and you're talking about managers and and, and things that, I mean, if Chillingham carry on playing the way they are at the moment, they are going to find themselves very close to the relegation zone very soon. And this was meant to be, you know, last season for Evans was meant to be the kind of consolidate and then go again. They are they are miles off, absolutely miles off being one of the teams who could kind of ghost into the, the upper regions of the league. They are re- relegation candidates at the moment and, and something has to change soon.
0: I'm a little concerned for Northampton. Uh, their start to the season hasn't been too bad and they've managed to beat Shrewsbury and Swindon. And Wigan, So that's obviously valuable to beat those sides that you might be scrapping against for relegation. But it does mean that they haven't played too many teams above them. Uh, and all of the teams they have played above them, they have lost to, apart from a 2 or draw with, with Wimbledon. So that's something of a concern. There's a part of me that wonders if their um, physical, direct style of play could be quite effective in the winter months. But it doesn't appear to be hugely effective at the moment, either in making them a decent defensive side where they've conceded two goals a game so far this season or going forward particularly. So just general concern about Northampton, I would expect them to slip down. And Rochdale might make me look a bit silly after what I said in preseason that they were that Rochdale being relegated was um, potentially my strongest Uh, opinion or prediction across uh, all three divisions they're doing pretty well I'm not ready to admit that I'm wrong just yet though (laughs) Uh, I think they're another squad that could be stretched somewhat the last team I wanted to mention with apologies to Blackpool who I just haven't quite worked out yet uh, are Wimbledon because there's something of a a, a quirk George they're in 11th at the moment 14 points from 11 games it's a much better start to the season that they've had in the last few years and it means that for the moment they're not um, involved in a relegation battle and I think not being involved in a relegation battle has to have been the, the sort of core objective of this season and fans will be wondering will we get sucked into it I think the signs are, are pretty positive one of the m- mad things about Wimbledon this season which some people might have missed is they've gone ahead in 11 of their uh, sorry in eight of their 11 league games uh, no one in the league has gone ahead in those games more but from those positions, eight times, that is, they've only won three, drawn four, and lost one. So that's enough to make me think, on the one hand, that they are much better than relegation material. That, you know, at the start of games and when games are tight and level, Wimbledon has shown themselves good enough to get ahead um, in the majority of their games. Clearly, the flip side is a concern uh, about game management, a, con- a concern about like stretching out a performance for more than 45 minutes over a full game. Uh, and I suppose the knock-on for that would be, could they lose confidence if they keep getting set, uh, sort of hit back and set back having gone ahead? And, and that could affect their general performance going forward. But I, I, I think I'd prefer, well, I definitely prefer it this way round than rarely or ever scoring the first goal uh, and constantly batting, battling just to get back into games. So I just wanted to flag up Wimbledon because I think that their mid-table position, you know, I wouldn't expect them to get much higher. Um, but i also not too concerned about them getting sucked in. Me too, so, mate. Good. We're on the same page. Great. I also just want to touch on the, the uh, golden boots in each league, having done so with the Championship. In League One, uh, it's 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 unclear so far, but quite exciting because of that. You've got John Marquis on seven goals at the top, all of them scored in his last five league games. Uh, one back from him on six, Johnson-Clark-Harris, Joe Piggott, Keen, lewis potter and George Grant, or George Grant brackets penalty to give him his full name. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on. League two, George, um, not much of a stats overview because League two is much less quirky than the others. Just good, clean fun uh, in League two. Home wins at 41%, away wins at 30%, draws at 29%. This is about standard. Uh, home wins maybe one or two ticks lower than normal, but generally this is uh, this is a normal season in that sense. And 2.44 goals per game. Again, you're a little bit lower than than the sort of usual 2.6 goals per game mark, but certainly not too far off. At the top of this glorious division, you have Mike Flynn's Amber Army, in Newport County, uh, on 25 points. Two back is Cambridge on 23, and two back from them, Forest Green on 21. Exeter and Carlisle on 20, and Cheltenham and Port Vale on 19 points. That's the top seven. Uh, of course, uh, three go up automatically, four into the playoffs. Below the, the playoff dotted line, you've got Crawley and Morecambe on 17. Salford, Colchester, Walsall on 16 make up the top half of the table. Uh, George, as, as the listeners know, this is my favourite division so far this season. <coughs> and it feels like we've got a really nice competitive group of teams uh, towards the top of the table as well, which when you've got three automatic promotion places is good to see because too often in the last few years, we've really seen three or max four teams gunning for those three spots?
1: Yeah, um, it, it, it's kind of hard to make much sense of at the moment because I look through the top nine, ten mm-hmm. and it's hard to really pick any holes in them. I think Newport are a really, really good side um, and Michael Flynn is doing a continually massive job. I think we've spoken so much about Newport that if you're tuning in for the first time and you're a Newport fan, which I think is probably a very, very small um, sample so of people then you know you can find us talking about them a lot and praising the style of play and the shift of play and, and things like that throughout in Cambridge you've got a side who are you know I think at the right at the beginning of the season it felt like maybe what they were doing was was a bit streaky but I think now 11 games in we can see that they are definitely a very very good league two side Forest Green are arguably the best League Two side so far based on, on XG and, and the data. Exeter, it's a continuation of last season which saw them get in the playoffs. Carlisle, the data darlings of the mm-hmm. league. It feels like Chris Beach is, of all the kind of rookie managers so far, the one who he can be most confident of being very good, given that it's a whole new team from last season. The early kind of struggles to knit it together have vanished now and they look like a, an absolute, you know, they remind me the most of, of the kind of the Plymouths, the... Swindon's from last season the mm. side who just control matches and score at will Cheltenham it's it's still you know Mike Duff doing what he does with the side who um were very good last season Liam Serkin's been a great addition it's just hard to really pick holes in any of these guys Eddie. I don't really know what to, what to say except for yes yes to all of you
0: <laughs> yeah well annoyingly I don't have a huge amount uh to add because I I, I agree with the majority of what you've said I think Cambridge are a really interesting one at the moment, in the sense that uh, they're they're on 23 points. It's an amazing start. Their numbers aren't quite as good as as some of the teams around them, but I think I think I'm happy to say this might be one with with Cambridge where the underlying numbers don't love it, uh, but I think that they could be better than the numbers suggest. Um, firstly, game state we know plays a, a big role in. XG numbers uh, in in all football stats basically and often gets overlooked or ignored and at this early stage of the season it will also manipulate things uh, in quite a significant way so you have to think about this and Cambridge have been ahead for 43% of their matches so far. Almost half the time they've been playing, Cambridge have had the lead. And clearly, that alters the state of a game pretty significantly. Uh, it alters the way that your opposition play. Generally, they're, they're going to be more attacking. And, and and as for yourselves, you wouldn't be so attacking. So you could see how your attacking output and the attacking output of your opposition um, would change uh, for the for the worse in terms of, of stats. But Cambridge is still fairly robust, to be honest. Like They're still what well, 50 58% xg ratio is very very strong and i think it's worth pointing out that that game state factor when it comes to to cambridge they've also already played eight of the top half given that they are in the top half that that's basically you know nine of they've only got three of the 12 top half teams that they haven't played so far so i think their fixtures so far and that and that little added layer of game state context makes me think that cambridge are you know are, are not the team that Although the data might predict them to drop down the table, I think we might see them stay up there for the moment. So it doesn't leave any teams really to drop down from that group. I guess with Vale, the the, the lack of attacking output was a concern for a few games. It seems to have improved. Um, I love, I'm loving Carlisle. I didn't think I had space for another. Sort of real soft spot after Newport and after Forest Green and after Cheltenham, but I mean Carlisle might be it as well. And and Carlisle at home to Cheltenham this weekend is going to be fascinating. I still think that Cheltenham are, are very robust. They're another team that they're they've actually been ahead in in games for longer than Cambridge. The, the 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 best side in that sense, they've been leading for the most amount of time. And I and I do think you know I do think a lot of the games that Cambridge have dropped points in. You could explain away as just being a little bit unlucky, sort of falling on the wrong side of the coin uh, to to coin an expression that doesn't exist. So, yeah, I'm not expecting Crawley and Morecambe, I must say, to um, get much higher than where they are at the moment. I think out of the Salford-Colchester-Walsall group, there's some interesting parts here, George. I guess we would expect Salford to rise up the table. Richie Wellens when he moved into Swindon midway through a season or early on in a season it didn't take him too long to improve the fortunes of the team to raise their level so I I would back him to do the same here with Salford and well Salford getting a bit better means Salford basically challenging for the top three so that's kind of what I'm expecting. Colchester United potentially less we're less sure on. Yeah they're my I didn't (laughs) they're my i didn't realize this this morning but
1: oh my god they're not very good team the big droppers um yeah they're the ones that i've kind of in in my research the listeners might be surprised to know i do any research but um in my research for this podcast suddenly alarm bells started ringing pretty pretty loudly um for colchester uh and it's mainly i mean it it is kind of data-driven again where you know the, the numbers um if you're looking at xg ratio Um, you know, we're going to talk about these bottom teams in a second, I think quite quickly because I think we kind of already think we know who's going to get relegated from League Two. But Scunthorpe are are bottom for season to date, XG ratio with 31.4%, South End 31.5%. So, those two the worst teams in the league by miles, 31.5 ish percent, Grimmsby XG ratio 33.3%, Colchester 37.4%. So, they are fourth bottom there and that effectively means that game on game they are creating you know the the opposition are creating far better chances than them consistently over the course of the matches if we look at kind of the more recent side of things it does it is a little bit better it feels they've improved a bit but then one of those games that we're talking about was of course the um the win the other day with giovanni brown getting his perfect hat trick in the 3-1 win against stevenage stevenage another team we're going to talk about in a second but it, it's it's the again it's the defensive issues here that are troubling me. An average of about 1.7 xG conceded per game. Um, it, again, we've got a rookie manager in Steve Ball, who we're still trying to work out how good he is. They conceded 12 goals this season from a total xG against of 18. You know, I'm not I'm not predicting them to drop down to that kind of bottom four level that I was mentioning in terms of xG ratio, but I think we have a certain perception of them because they were a playoff team last season because of certain players that we know are good League Two players going forward, at least, in in, in Brown, Poku, Senior, um. But it feels to me like they might be in a bit of a false position and might be worse off than a a kind of a higher mid-table team. We might see them sliding because I think they're going to be conceding a few goals soon.
0: Yeah, I I can't argue a huge amount with that, I must say. I just wanted to shout out Walsall, by the way. Certainly uh, raised a smile for me when I saw that they have won three, drawn seven and lost one. So just absolutely loving the draws this season. What do we always think about when we see a team that draw loads? Let's try and look at the draws and work out if maybe they were winning draws or losing draws, and that could give us an indication as to whether they'll start picking up more points or not. Uh, If you look at the... XG ratio tables that we've got that you've mentioned a few times, and they're provided by Fox Punter, uh, which is a service run by Mike Holden that we've been using for a few years. And you can check out uh, if you if you head to Fox Punter or just Google it. Uh, Walsall expected goals four per game, 1.37 expected goals against, 1.38. They're about as close to 50% XG ratios you could possibly get. Get the most middling draw-heavy side you can imagine, uh, and basically. I don't think they are either going to fly up the table nor fall down the table, to be honest. I think 12th is exactly where they might finish based on that. Uh, let's talk about the bottom of League 2. Southend have two points from 11 games. Scunthorpe have four points from eight games. Uh, Mansfield and Stevenage have seven points from 11 games. Bolton have 10. And Oldham and Barrow have one more than them on 11. George, as there's never a huge amount of fun... Down at the bottom of League Two. The the League Two relegation battle is the sort of grimmest place, I guess, in EFL football for obvious reasons. Um but but whereas in League One with four relegation places, that tends to be this like really angry, ugly bloodbath, the League Two relegation battle is more reflective of a few really drunk dudes in a in a gunfight, in like a long range gunfight, just really missing the target a lot some of them survive even though they probably don't deserve to and some of them go down um wh- where are we at at the bottom of league two south end and scunny any hope for them
1: i, I think at this stage scunthorpe and south end might end up being about 15 points detached from the rest of the league um i think their best hope for staying up is probably other teams in fo- getting to financial difficulty given that they're probably the two most likely teams to get into financial difficulty in the league it- it's very hard to see a way out. Um We don't take much pleasure in it, but I have a feeling when we look back at our one to twenty fours, us having Scunthorpe and Southend as the bottom two in the league might be one of our finest moments of predicting, given that they weren't amongst the kind of proper favourites for relegation in the league. You know, you look at their record so far. I mean talking again about goal difference you know I've, I've mentioned their their underlying data the shot data but south end played 11 games they've scored 5 goals they've conceded 25 goals scunthorpe have played 8 games because of their covid postponements they've scored 4 goals and they've conceded 17 goals they are they are way way off it way off it um, and then you look at the teams above them and there's a case to be made for all of them to improve Mansfield have brought in Nigel Clough. I'd be amazed if he doesn't get a reaction from this squad of players. Bolton, under Ian Everett, it's obviously been very poor. But again, given the players they've got at their disposal, you'd be shocked if they couldn't turn it on and improve a bit. Oldham, last time out, we saw them under Harry Kuehl playing you know, a, ch- a very good Cheltenham team off the park and getting a deserved win there. Barrow, back-to-back wins. tranmere just, have just sacked um, Michael Jackson. Interesting to know he's going to go there. I noticed... Paul Ince is now favourite, which I wouldn't be too excited about, but I think Nigel Adkins or someone of that ilk would certainly be impressive. So that leaves a kind of three group of three teams I'm concerned about. Whether or not I'm concerned enough for them to enter the relegation race, I'm not so sure. The first being Bradford, who look woefully poor under um, Stuart McCall. I mean, they got an important victory. Uh, on the weekend against Whipping Boy End, But we've seen, as with Tranmere the other day, even the poorest team They won the, the about
0: 10 nil on the weekend, didn't they, against Tunbridge Angels? They Indeed, <laughs> yeah.
1: But I don't know, what, what, do we, what do we think of that? Grimsby are certainly, in data terms, the third worst team in the league, but there just seems to be something about Ian Holloway. I know that it's not particularly scientific, this, but it seems to get a reaction in certain games, and you'd probably fancy them to get enough wins and, and do enough in certain matches to be okay and then there's Stevenage you know the relegated team from last season who got their reprieve um they have Alex Revel as manager who we're still trying to work out if he's any good 11 games one win six conceded so six goals scored and 11 conceded reads pretty miserably but if if I was to pick a side who I'm going to predict measurably improve soon and are due some luck it probably is Stevenage because they're in mid table side according to the data they their conversion rate is akin to Derby's where they've scored six goals from an expected goal total of about 14-15 they've had so many shots I sent you kind of the list of the of the shot count earlier and you know certain players who are getting you know opportunities and fairly decent opportunities quite regularly just failing to put the ball away but you know looking at the numbers themselves you've got Danny Newton for example who hasn't scored a goal yet this season he's had 21 shots and 13 in the area Elliot list has had 13 shots in the area he's scored one you know um they, Jack Hson has had has had 10 shots five in the area is yet to score that's going to change soon. Stevenage had do some luck in front
0: of goal. 4. And when 6, they do, 6, them to kind of ease up. 4.6% conversion rate for Stevenage, the worst in the EFL. And that does seem like a pretty easy one to... to not not taking anything away from your research, but because of that, it, it feels like a an easy win to predict that they won't keep picking up points at... Uh, level that they are which is like 0. what 0. 0.75 0. 0.8 per game so up the Stevenage hopefully they'll be uh, rising up the table I guess the, the 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 last few things to discuss is there anyone from basically Crawley in eighth down to Tramere in 17th who you find interesting um Har- I've already mentioned Salford I expect them to join the party Harrogate uh, have caught the eye haven't they they've been very good certainly an open play uh, on both ends of the pitch and everyone's loving the style that they play with and. Uh, and yet they've got the same amount of defeats as wins harrogate potentially lacking a little bit of savvy um it, it's it's hard to know exactly why they're not picking up the results that uh, that many people think that they deserve and, and i dare say their numbers are suggesting they should be picking up but sometimes there can be you know some deficiencies on that side of things lack of experience it sometimes gets characterized as whatever it might be that seems to to exist in this early in this early spell uh, for harrogate but they might they might start you know, putting teams away. Um, And I mean, I I mean, Crawley are interesting. (laughs) Not not for any particular reason that I think they'll be flying up the table, but mostly because uh, John Yems is John Yems. And I basically couldn't be happier that that a guy who we knew so little about, but who we decided we quite liked uh, based on his name more than anything, pretty (coughs) fairly arbitrary reason, uh, who then has been like viral, so far this season, for for some absurd post uh, post match interviews, and who's just put together a side that who's most of their games are absolute carnage. They they mm. won they won six five in the FA Cup on the weekend against Torquay. I think <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I think it was it was three it was two one uh, with about half an hour to play. I mean, technically with only ten minutes to play, but there'd been a really bad injury, so there were eighteen minutes added on. Um, they went into the the nominal period of injury time at two one, the game finished three three, and then six five after half half an hour extra. Um, they've scored four in the league twice already this season against Morecambe and Tranmere. They've got that in them. Some of their mm. attacking play is absolutely magnificent, but they don't look yet very consistent. They don't look particularly good defensively, so they are more of a they're just more of a, a neutrals choice, I think, for a uh, for the team whose highlights you enjoy watching more than anything for me. Uh, anything to add in League Two? No, I don't think so. the only thing I would flag with, with Crawley is they seem to be
1: just a very Jekyll and Hyde team. Their home form is, is brilliant and they are very good at home. They're away from home. Their performances match their results. They're very, very poor. So hard to see them kind of mounting much of a challenge further up the league, so long as that's the case. But it's one of those where something will probably correct itself. <laughs> you know, if, if the home if the home performances kind of lag towards the away ones, then you're probably going to see them fall away. But if the reverse
0: happens, then very quickly, they'll be one of the best teams in the league. We will finish with a golden boot glance and Paul Mullen has gone off quick. He has gone off quick <laughs> here. Uh, 11 goals so far for Mullen. Uh, he's kind of like the the horse that leads the Grand National by 10 lengths after five jumps. Um, and there are five players in second equal, five goals behind Mullen, Uh, on six in total and then another seven who are six goals behind him on five so we wait to see who sort of breaks out from that pack Um, looking at the underlying numbers you might pick out Andy Williams maybe of Cheltenham Um, if you're looking for, for someone who might start putting the pressure on Mullen. Um, He looks like he's pretty consistently getting on the end of chances and certainly shown over the course of his career that he's more than capable of finishing them. Uh, And that's the end of this podcast, a bumper edition, which I thought was apt for, um, well, for for the championship perspective. This is an international break. So next Monday, there'll be no championship games to talk about. There'll be plenty from league one and league two to talk about, but we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I'm sorry if we didn't mention your team much or at all. Um, As I'm sure you guys know, 72 teams is a lot of teams and, um, You know, we've probably only done, what, about 80 minutes or so. So uh, not too much chance to do every side. But hopefully we've touched on some, um, well, just everything that that you would want us to touch on across the three leagues. And if not, please do drop us a line at NTT20pod. Um, It'd be great to hear what you think about what we've said. uh, If we've talked about your team, whether you agree with us or not, uh, and anything else that's caught your eye. Join us on Thursday for the Totally Football League Show Extra Time. Thanks as always for listening, guys. Go well and hope you have a good week.